Today we are beginning a new series of messages called The Road to Easter. And here's the purpose of the messages in the next several weeks. I want us to be able to celebrate Easter like never before with our heads, with our hearts, and with our hands. And here's what I mean. I want us to be able to celebrate Easter with our heads as we understand the incredible significance of Easter and how it changes our lives. I want us to be able to celebrate Easter with our hearts by responding to the love that Jesus has for us. And I want us to celebrate Easter with our hands by figuring out what we should do in response to the Easter message. Now the time leading up to Easter is often referred to as Lent, a period of time that begins 40 days before Easter. How many of you have heard of Lent? It begins with Ash Wednesday, which this year was on February the 14th, Valentine's Day. And this 40-day period of time actually is connected to the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. He was tempted for 40 days before he launched his public ministry. Lent is traditionally a time when people engage in self-examination and reflection. Many people fast during Lent or they give up some normal activity so they have more time to pray and to reflect. And so with that in mind, as we lead up to Easter, we want to take the time to reflect on what Easter is all about. And this morning, I want to begin the message with, with this question. How would you define the word risk? R-I-S-K. Now, here's some simple definitions. The first is this. Risk is the potential of gaining or losing something. Makes sense. Here's the second. Risk is a situation involving the exposure to danger. And here is one of my favorite definitions of risk. It's the last one. Risk is the intentional interaction with uncertainty. The intentional interaction with uncertainty. Now, we, we live in a world that's full of risk. We often talk about health risks. People talk about risk in the insurance world. The amount you pay for an insurance policy is based on the risks involved. We know that there are financial risks if you're involved in the stock market. Everybody knows that. There are relational risks. For example, if you go online and you decide that you're going to try some online dating service and you meet somebody and then you decide to meet them in person, are you taking a risk? You absolutely are. If you decide to get married, are you taking a risk? Yes, because marriage involves, well, here's the definition, the intentional interaction with uncertainty because you're not sure how it's going to work out. There's even a board game called Risk. Here's a picture of that of that board game. There we go. And this is a game where players control armies, use them to capture territories, eliminate the other players. We live in a world that involves what? Risk. So let me ask you this. Do you think that following Jesus Christ requires a risk? One of my favorite stories was written by C.S. Lewis quite a number of years ago. It's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you are familiar with that? It was made into a motion picture film. And in the story, here is the main character, Aslan. He is this mighty lion who's a figure for Christ himself. And in the story, there are some children. One is named Susan. And Susan is getting ready to meet Aslan for the first time. And she's having a conversation with Mr. Beaver, one of the characters in the story. And Mr. Beaver and Susan have a conversation that goes like this. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Jesus who calls us to follow him is the king. And as Mr. Beaver points out, he is not entirely safe. There are risks involved in following Jesus, but this Jesus who calls you to follow him is entirely good. This is our verse of the week. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The way of the cross is not an easy life. The way of the cross doesn't promise comfort and freedom from pain. The way of the cross calls us to stop playing it safe and take risks to advance the kingdom of God. When you read the New Testament, there are essentially two things that Jesus promises to those who will follow him. Trouble and joy. Now, how many of you had any trouble in your life this week? It's just the way life is. We live in a world that is filled with trouble. Now, sometimes that trouble can be traced back to the choice that Adam and Eve made so many years ago that's affected our world to this very day. Sometimes the trouble in our lives is because of the choices that other people make. And sometimes we bring trouble on ourselves because of our own choices. And in the middle of this trouble, Jesus says, take the risk of following me. And I will not only walk with you on this road of sorrow and suffering, I will lead you into the path of joy and peace and purpose. And so this morning, I want you to think with me about this Jesus who calls us to stop playing it safe. And I want to begin with some observations about the cost of playing it safe. And here is the first. It limits our impact. Playing it safe limits our impact. Look at these verses. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, how did they react? At once, they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow him, they didn't play it safe. They took the risk of leaving their business behind. They left their families behind, and they followed Jesus. Now, imagine what their lives would have been like if they had played it safe. Imagine what the world would be like if Peter and Andrew and the other disciples played it safe and did not take the risk of following Jesus. Last night, I was driving home after our prayer and praise service. We were celebrating our 40 days of prayer, and I was thinking about when Jesus called me to be a pastor. And I've shared this with, with some of you in the past, that when Jesus called me to, to be a pastor, I basically said, I don't want to be a pastor, and you can't make me be a pastor. And we had a conversation about this for quite some time, for months. And I remember one night, it was an all-night wrestling match with God, and when the sun came up, he had changed my heart. And I said, yes. You know, one of the... One of the important reasons, in fact, the primary reason that I struggled with that decision, the reason I resisted God's call to be a pastor could be summarized in one word, pain. My wife, Chris, and I, when we were growing up, we had known a number of pastors and their wives, people involved in ministry, and we knew the warping pressures that ministry places on couples, on families, and we knew that if we actually pursued this call for me to be a pastor and Chris to serve alongside me, 
that it would not be easy and that it would not be safe. And that has certainly proved to be true. And I was also thinking last night, well, what if we had played it safe? I mean, when God called me to be a pastor, I had a really good job, civil service job. I was a firefighter. I was moving up the ranks. I was actually offered my dream job of being the chief of emergency medical services for the whole city of Hialeah. I was 34 years old. And I said, no, nope, I'm going to go to school and be a pastor. And my fellow firefighters thought I was absolutely crazy. I remember a conversation I had with one of the district chiefs. He called me into his office and says, Hodges, sit down. I need to talk with you. I want to know if you've been exposed to any toxic chemicals because something's wrong with your thinking. <laughs> and I, I was remembering just last night a conversation that I had with my brother. He's four years older. And I told him, hey, I'm, I'm leaving my job. I'm going to go to school. He says, hey, but hey, you're married. You have three kids. How are you going to... How are you going to afford this? And I said, Jim, I don't know. But how can I ever stand up in front of a group of people and say, you need to trust Jesus. You need to have faith. You need to answer God's call on your life unless I'm willing to take the risk of doing that myself. And I thought last night of this idea that Jesus promises us two things, trouble, and what was the other thing he promises? Joy. And listen, this morning as I look out at you, as I think about what God is doing in your lives, when I think about Jesus rescuing you, when I think about how you're growing in your commitment to Christ, as I think about the influence of our church over the years, do you know what it brings me? Yeah, joy. Great joy, the joy that Jesus promised. And church, my, my prayer for each of us is that we will intentionally take the risk of following Jesus and answering his call on our lives. Because if we don't, what's the cost? It's on your outline. What does it say there? Do you see it? It limits our what? You can say it. Say it out loud. It limits our impact. And here's something else that it does. It shrinks our faith. It shrinks our faith. Look at these verses about Abraham. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance said, I don't think so, God. What does it say he did? Do you see what it says? He obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. What did that take? Starts with an F, ends with an H. It took faith. And here's what's interesting. Throughout Abraham's life, God keeps giving him what you might call FBOs, faith-building opportunities. Because you think about it, the first one was, hey, just leave your home and go where I'm telling you. And Abraham says, all right, God, I'm willing to do that. I have enough faith to do that. And then there's another time in the story of Abraham where God comes to Abraham and says, listen, um, you and Sarah are going to have a child. Of course, there was just one, one problem. They were really old. Now, here's an interesting thought. Do you know how long Abraham and Sarah waited before little Isaac was born? Does anybody know? 25 years. Now think about that. 25 years. We were talking in our small group, talking about prayer, you know, waiting for God to answer, waiting for God to keep his promise, and people were saying, man, I'm waiting two weeks. I don't know how much longer I can wait. Abraham and Sarah waited how long? 25 years for God to come through, and then there was another test of faith that was really dramatic. Some of you know the story in Genesis 22, where God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Did that take faith? Yeah, you bet it did. And it pointed to another father who would be willing to sacrifice his son. 
It pointed to Jesus Christ himself. Now, here's why I tell you that. Because maybe today God is giving you a faith-building opportunity. Maybe right now you're thinking about the future and you're uncertain about what's going to happen. Maybe there's uncertainty with your job or with your marriage or with your kids. Here's what God is saying to you this morning. I am with you. I am for you. I got this. I got you. So listen, just, just walk with me and let me lead the way. Church, listen, whenever we step out and obey God, our faith grows. Whenever we shrink back, it feeds our fears. Now let me point out another cost of playing it safe. This is number three. It shrivels our heart. It shrivels our heart. There was a story written by that well-known theologian, Dr. Seuss, it's called The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, and here's a picture of the affable Grinch. And I love how the story begins. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Listen carefully. When we do not take the risk of loving other people, what happens to our heart? It shrivels like the Grinch. We knit with a heart that's two sizes too small. Look at the words of Jesus here. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. One of the greatest risks that we can take in this life is loving other people. Loving them the way that Jesus loves us. Because even though we may try to share the truth in love, there is a risk of rejection. There is a risk of being misunderstood. When you step into the pain in another person's life and try to help them, you are taking the risk that they're going to break your heart. But Jesus says it's a risk worth taking. In fact, he offers to help us, to give us the compassion and the wisdom we need to learn how to love others well. In fact, he says, let me love you so that you in turn have love to give to other people. Well, so far we've looked at some of the costs of playing it safe. And can we just review these? It limits our what? Impact, say it out loud. It limits our impact, it shrinks our faith, and it shrivels our heart. Now, you look at that list and you go, oh, that's not good. Because I want to have an impact. I want to have a really strong faith. I don't want to have a heart like the Grinch that's two sizes too small. So how can I stop playing it safe? I'm glad you asked. Because here are some ways to do that. And here is the first, get to know God better and better. Get to know God better and better. Now look at these words of Jesus. He says this. Now this is eternal life. This is an actual definition from Jesus. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God made us to live a life of adventure, a life of passion, a life of purpose, but we will never know that life apart from knowing God. Look at this verse from Peter. He says, his divine power, God's divine power, 
has given us everything we need for a godly life. How? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, I want you to follow this line of reasoning. The better you know God, the more you will trust him. That's a straightforward idea, isn't it? The better you know anybody, the more you're going to trust him. The better you know God, the more you will trust him. The more you trust God, the, the more faith you're going to have, right? And the more faith you have, the more you will experience God's power in your life. Because faith connects us to the power of God. Now, that's great for you as an individual. But what if you had a whole bunch of people who trusted God? People who are getting to know God, people who believe what the Bible says, that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine because of his mighty power that works where? In us. That's a reference to the church. You know, I think one day we're going to get home to heaven and God is going to amaze us by showing us what happened because we refused to stop praying, because we refused to stop serving, because we refused to stop loving people the way that Jesus loves us. And church, that's why... I keep praying when I see impossible situations. I keep believing that God is at work even though I may not see it because faith is incredibly important and that's why we need to do this. We need to exercise the faith that we have. If we want to stop playing it safe, we've got to exercise the faith that God has given us. Look at this verse. It's from James. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead, kaput. I was thinking about a way to illustrate this idea that if you really want to live the life that God's called you to live, you have to exercise the faith that you have. And I thought about exercise. Um, many of you know that I had surgery on my arm, and so I've been doing some different exercises to regain my strength. And I've been doing physical therapy. I started with a one-pound weight, and I started moving it, and now I'm up to three pounds, and if you want a muscle to get stronger, what do you have to do? You have to exercise. You have to use it. And so I kept using this three-pound weight, and then I graduated just recently to a 10-pound weight. So now I'm doing this with a 10-pound weight. And so what's happening with my muscle? It's getting stronger. Right? It's growing. And my hope is one day soon, in the not-too-distant future, <laughs> yeah, I'll be doing that with this arm. But here's the idea. When you use a muscle, what happens to it? It gets stronger. What happens if you don't use your muscle? It's going to get weaker. And faith is the same way. When you use faith, when you use the faith that you have, God increases your faith. It grows stronger. If you don't use it, it gets weaker. And here's why that is so incredibly important. Because essentially there's only two ways to live. In fear or in faith. Think about it. Whenever you face situations in your life, you can face them with fear or you can face them with faith. And I was thinking this week about some conversations that I've had with people this, this last week about financial fears. And there are so many people that have worries about finances. Some people are worried because they just have a whole lot of debt. They're not sure how they're ever going to pay it off. There are people that have student loans, people with medical bills trying to put your kids through college. There are all these fears we might have about finances. So what do we do? Exercise the faith that you have. Because as you exercise the faith that you have, your faith will do what? It will grow stronger. I remember one time in a message, I asked people this question. I said, do you think that it takes a lot of faith to tithe, to give God 10% of your income? 
And I know that some people hear that question and go, well, no, because I've been doing it for years and God always comes through. He's always faithful to me. And then there are other people who go, whoa, wait a minute. 10%? That's, that's a pretty big ask that God is making. And honestly, for me, that'd be a big risk. Now, why would it be a risk to tithe? Because you're not certain of the outcome. Because you don't have a track record of God's faithfulness. But you can get one by doing what? By stepping out in faith and obeying God. Because God is always faithful to his promises. And that brings us to another way to stop playing it safe. Start praying some dangerous prayers. Start praying some dangerous prayers. Look at these words of Jesus. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And notice this statement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to start praying some dangerous prayers, pray that God's will is done in your life, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. Students, I'm really thankful you're in the service this morning because I want to challenge you to pray some dangerous prayers and to say, God, I want your will to be done in my life regardless of the cost and regardless of the consequences. And I will tell you this, when you pray like that, God's going to give you the wisdom and he's going to give you the courage to stand up for him and for his principles no matter what other people think or say. And church, here's, here's another word of encouragement to those of you who are married. Marriage is a challenge. We all know that. Marriage is an occasion to pray with and for your spouse. And we've encouraged you to do that during this 40 days of prayer adventure. But I want you to say some prayers that you might consider dangerous prayers and say, God, listen, whatever it takes, would you please help me change? God, whatever it takes, would you help me forgive? God, whatever it takes, would you change my heart? Because listen, when you're serious like that, you're gonna see how serious God is about answering your prayers. Well, here's a final way to stop playing it safe. Realize what's at stake. Realize what's at stake. In the first century, there was a, a man named Paul, follower of Jesus. And God called him to take this good news of Jesus around the world. And Paul knew this mission was really important, that people's lives, that people's destinies hung in the balance. He knew what was at stake. And he said this. He said, however... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And Paul's commitment to Jesus, his courage to carry out this task, was contagious. And we see that in this, this section of, of Philippians where he writes and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being a prisoner in Rome. And he says this, as a result of being a prisoner, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and notice this, dare, they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Proclaiming the gospel in the first century, could cost you your life. Proclaiming the gospel today around the world in certain areas will cost you your life. And yet people continue to do it. 
Why? Because they are fully devoted and fully committed to Jesus Christ. Listen, courage is contagious, and we know that. And the most courageous person who has ever lived is Jesus Christ. And today, we're celebrating his sacrifice for us, his courage. And if you're a Christian this morning, I want you to think about this as we come to the table and celebrate communion. I want you to think about the radical commitment that Jesus Christ has made to you. He laid down his life for you. Here's the question that we all should consider. How committed am I to Jesus and to his mission in this world? For example, if you're a believer this morning, think about your time. Think about your talents. Think about your priorities and what they say about your commitment to Christ. I was sharing with our our staff this morning, we have a prayer time at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. I was sharing with them that every week I'm in touch with seven particular pastors, some in the U.S., some outside the U.S. And we try to encourage each other because ministry can be really challenging as well as joyful. And one of the challenges, and this is across the board, not just in the U.S., but even around the world, one of the challenges in churches is finding enough volunteers who are deeply committed to serve. People who will not only sign up, but show up because they know what's at stake. And I want you to know, church, that I am so encouraged. And if Chris, my wife, were standing here, she would say the same thing. We're so encouraged because we have volunteers in this church that are growing in their commitment to Christ. And you guys know who you are, and you deeply encourage us. But here's the flip side. There are many people that are on the sidelines, I was thinking this morning, um, Rachel Amistoy was talking about the number of kids that we're praying for. Does anybody remember the number of kids we're praying for this summer? 250. Does that seem like a lot? Yeah, that's a ton of kids. Do you know how many volunteers we need? A hundred. A hundred volunteers. Now, it, you know, it's, it's so interesting. On Sunday morning, you know, we have these announcements and we have these pieces of paper. You can check the box and I volunteer. And here's what often happens. People are going, oh, that's a good idea. I think it's wonderful to pray for 250 people, but me, I'm too busy. Here, here's the question. How does your schedule, how do your priorities reflect your commitment to Christ and to his kingdom? Seriously. I mean, we had that card in the, in the bulletin this morning about Easter. Hey, should we reach out to our community? Oh, yeah. Well, can you serve on, on Easter? Well, not really. Because I've got family in town. It just doesn't work for me that weekend. Church, we need people who will step up and say, Jesus, use me. Because I believe with all my heart in your mission, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Now let me, let me wrap things up. Let me land the plane this morning with one final question. It may seem a little weird, but stay with me. Are you ready? Who can tell me the best hand you can have in poker? Who knows? I just heard it. Eddie, what was it? Royal Flush. Okay, a Royal Flush is an ace, king, queen, jack, and ten of the same suit. All right, now I want you to imagine this. You're playing in a high-stakes poker game. For some of you, it may be easier than others to imagine this. But imagine that you're playing in this high-stakes poker game, and you are dealt a Royal Flush, and you pick up the cards, and you can't believe it. What would you do in poker terminology? You would go... Say it out loud. 
all in. Why would you go all in? Because you cannot possibly lose. There's a man, his name's Jim Elliott. He went to Ecuador in the 1950s to take the gospel to a group of Indians called the Auk Indians. And he was martyred. He was killed. And he said this about taking the risk of following Jesus. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you hear that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Church, my, my prayer for all of us is that God would enable us to grow in our commitment to Christ so that we can go all in. My prayer is that we will believe the words of Jesus when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being completely committed to us. Thank you for laying down your life and, and offering to give us a new life. And, and Lord, I pray this morning that as we come to this table to, to express our thanks to you, that you, God, would help us grow in our faith. Lord, help us grow in our commitment to serve and follow Jesus. We pray in, in his name. Amen.